Saudi Arabia has set out on a journey. This historic land today is home to a young population. A quarter is under 15. More than 40% is younger than 25 and 90% of the population is under 55 years old. The country aims to build a diversified economy, providing new opportunities for this young population. To achieve this goal, Saudi Arabia is looking to the past as well as the future. As the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or KSA, seeks to forge a new path in a changing world, it has created a wide-ranging programme of socio-economic transformation. Called Saudi 2030, the plan draws on the kingdom's position at the heart of the Arab and Islamic world. It seeks to use its investment power to create a more diverse and sustainable economy, and it's using its strategic location on major trade routes to build its role as an integral driver of international trade, connecting Europe, Africa and Asia. The vision includes investment in cutting-edge new technologies. A composite aerostructure factory near Riyadh will use state-of-the-art manufacturing to build aircraft components locally. The programme has seen investment in renewable energy and in sustainable desalination. Research projects and investments like this will meet the Vision 2030 goals to create a thriving, diverse economy with new employment opportunities that look to the future. But the country and the Arabian Peninsula more broadly have a deep and rich cultural heritage. Historically, trade routes ran from India and points east to Rome and the west, stopping on the eastern shores of the Red Sea. The plan also seeks to leverage this strategic position, encouraging the growth of a vibrant society with a strengthened national identity. Ancient trade routes drove the development of one of the region's first complex cultures, the Nabataeans. This rich civilization, with its cities cut into rocky cliffs, is best known for its capital Petra. Its second site, Hejra, close to the Al-Ula city in the northwest of the country, is Saudi Arabia's first UNESCO World Heritage Site, offering many of the same timeless wonders. The holy city of Mecca, stands 700 kilometers further south. But with the same fertile Hijaz region, which stretches along the coast of the Red Sea. Jeddah was established as a port close to Mecca, serving both pilgrims and traders. Today, the city is a showcase for a distinctive style of architecture, which once was seen in cities on both sides of the Red Sea, but now remains only in Jeddah's old town or Al-Balad. The style is characterised by tall townhouses. This region is the ancient home of the skyscraper, built around cooling courtyards and winding streets, and making use of techniques of passive climate control. Intricately carved wooden screens shade these buildings and give clues to the former residents' position in society. The first Saudi state has its roots 1,000 kilometres to the northeast, on the other side of the deserts of the Nejd, here, in Diria, a mud-brick city was founded in the narrow fertile valley of the Wadi Hanifa. In the 18th century, the ancestor of today's ruling family, Mohammed bin Saud, established a new state here. In 2010, Diria's at Turaif district 
was also registered as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Through its courtyards, alleyways and buildings, Daria showcases quintessential Nejdi architecture and tells the story of a traditional Saudi way of life. The country's leadership is committed to driving the country's socio-economic diversification. A new green, smart economy is being built, which aims to improve the quality of life and achieve sustainable growth. But historic sites in Saudi Arabia, like those around the world, are a vital part of this new vision. Places like Al-Ula, historic Jeddah and Daria offer both a unifying link to the past and a starting point for visitors who want to understand this historic and diverse land. The UNESCO World Heritage Sites will draw visitors to the country and drive internal tourism. Their careful reconstruction and development will bring new jobs and kickstart wider growth in the local economy. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And I'm Johnny Dowling. In this episode, we're partnering with Atkins and Faithful and Gould Middle East, members of the SNC-Lavalin Group, to look at how the kingdom is marrying old and new as it reshapes its economy for the future. Dr. Ihab Abdo is the Head of Project Management Consultancy Services Western Region, Saudi Arabia, at Faithful and Gould. Vision 2030, he explains, is multifaceted. Saudi Arabia's development aims always to outline uh, in its Vision 2030 plan uh, uh, some kind of like, um, maybe let me put it as a comprehensive blueprint for the country's future growth and the development as well. So the plan aims to diversify the economy, to reduce the dependence on the oil uh, exports and create a, a new image for the kingdom that we need to create a vibrant society with a high quality of life for its citizens. One of the key uh, components of the vision uh, 2030 is the development of touristic sector and with a, a, some kind of uh, a focus on the historical buildings. To achieve this, the plan includes a range of initiatives to develop and new destinations and improve existing ones. In many countries around the world, development has not always been spread evenly across regions. We can see this in East and West Germany, between London and the rest of the UK, and between the coastal cities and the more rural areas of the United States. This is also true for parts of Saudi Arabia, and the Vision 2030 plan aims to ensure that development is spread across the country. So that's why you can see also the distribution of the new projects and it goes into like wherever there is like a, a chance to go or there is like a, some kind of a, a, a story to tell from the history point of view. That's why you can see that Al-Ula is happening there on the north. At the same time, you have here in the southern Jordan, uh, uh, where you have this beautiful city, historical Jeddah, which was the route to go to Mecca. Simon Millman is the head of cost management in the Middle East and Africa for Faithful and Gould. Vision 2030, he explains, brings together many different threads and draws on the country's history. It's laid out quite clearly in the, in the, in the Vision 2030 plan in terms of cultural, historical and, and urban, urban redevelopments and how important, how important that is to them. They both go hand in hand because the, the, the tourism part of, of Saudi Arabia is, is going to build off these historic developments 
and the and the way that urban redevelopment happens around them is um, integrated and, and part of that. The development of these sites is intended to bring new tourists and also boost the local economy. Those ongoing projects are driving significant investment in the infrastructure development, including the transportation, the energy, the water supply. This can help to improve the quality of life for the citizens and the residents. We need to uh, elevate the social welfare of the citizens by creating better living conditions. For example, and let me give you, there is a, a beautiful project which is back there in Riyadh, which is we're participating in, uh, also uh, King Salman Park project, uh, which aims to create green spaces for citizens and visitors to enjoy, uh, while also providing job opportunities and boosting the economic growth. The scale of the development will not only drive a step change in the country's economy, but will lead it into entirely new areas. Those mega projects in Saudi Arabia are focused on developing and deploying new technologies. You know, those uh, trendy, effective uh, uh, systems like renewable energy, uh, the artificial intelligence, the robotics. This is all helping in enhancing the country's competitiveness, driving the innovation and creating new industries and job opportunities as well. And it's reshaping the way Saudis, visitors and expatriates living in the country will experience Saudi cities, explains Vasushri Mota, Regional Director, Urban Design and Landscape, Middle East and Africa with Atkins. The two things that sort of pop out from an urban planning, urban regeneration perspective is the idea around thriving, econ uh, thriving economy and uh, uh, diversification that they're trying to create uh, within that. So that's uh, to attract tourists to all of their heritage as well as uh, local sort of natural beauty that they've got. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people think of Saudi Arabia just as desert, right? But it's got beautiful mountains. It's got a beautiful coastline. They want to create a vibrant community and a thriving economy, and both of those rely on creating uh, tourism, creating more opportunities for entertainment, um, creating new um, uh, sort of areas of, of work and economy, which is what the, the focus of all of these projects is. So a lot of hotels, a lot of sort of um, areas for young people to work in different ways, which is what you're seeing as well, right? The, the nature of work, live, work, play, is, it's, it's kind of changing now to this 15-minute city concept, also which helps them alleviate their transportation and mobility challenges, which the cities face, coming particularly from a very petro sort of dominated economy, right? The country's history and its historic buildings are key to this new regionally balanced development programme and to its sense of national identity. The plan is not just to put Saudi Arabia's historic cities on the global map. It's also about building more reasons for Saudis, and young Saudis in particular, to discover more of their own country. There is like a, 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 a misunderstanding, if I can put it that way, that whenever we go into the terminology of tourism, always the first glance or the first impression that we need to concentrate on the external tourism, how we are going to attract people from outside. Now for uh, such a country in KSA that now it's developing and it is like uh, rediscovering itself, if I may put it in that way, I believe the amount of uh, pleasant surprises when it comes to the culture, to the heritage, the new generation that you would like to understand what was happening with our ancestors. 
so i think like in any other place i think also in saudi the sort of cultural heritage of the country kind of lends pride and a shared vision uh, to the people and particularly at this point where the kingdom's got a vision towards 2030 and beyond they look at that sort of root um of their beginnings of their culture as a very strong motivator for the youth and to generate that pride for people to look towards the future and and grow from that shared sense of purpose the building a new economy alongside such deep heritage demands a very careful approach and demands a master plan that goes beyond individual projects context is key some of the stuff that we are working on is thousands of years old there are others which are 300 years 700 years old so there's obviously the and and obviously in alula you've got his heritage that goes back even older than that there are few sort of sides of it there is obviously the the sort of conservation requirements for the heritage sites that need to just be protected they need to be respected and you need to maintain a certain amount of buffer distance you need to acknowledge them through view corridor corridors um and these are generally sort of best practice heritage guidelines that you would see in in a unesco requirement or other agencies that list these um, um world heritage sites that historical context is at the core and must be the first consideration on a world heritage site but the needs of locals are also at the heart of the plan there is also uh, the activation around it how do you make sure that the visitors that are coming to these sites get to it easily have have you know an enjoyable experience learn about history um and also the local people being able to uh, use it on a more frequent basis it become becoming a venue for events and things like that and that's why the master plan sort of needs to be planned in a way around it uh, such that it pays homage to it it respects it but it also fully integrates it both from experience as well as spatially from you know creating views creating pedestrian routes creating linkages uh, providing the a seamless visitor experience without overly commercializing it. Ehab has been working on the development program of the Jeddah Historical District known as JHD or Al Balad, meaning the town in Arabic, but implicitly the old town. It's been a stopping place for pilgrims and traders since the 7th century of the Common Era or the 1st century of the Islamic calendar. Al Balad is a complex and compact area. where history has been laid down layer upon layer for almost 1400 years jeddah historical district which is the 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 major projects that we're handling there you're talking about 2.5 square kilometers area that was like uh, really created around this idea of uh, creating this route to mecca and uh, uh, the beautiful history of that one that you're talking about like uh, around 1340 uh, assets uh, there that are like separated between heritage assets and also non-heritage assets Ehab and his colleagues have been providing project management consultancy services for the historic Jeddah development program from project and cost consultancy services to site-wide utilities design management program setup and governance processes and procedures In some Saudi cities there's a clear distinction between old and new but Al Balad has been at the heart of trade and pilgrimage routes for more than a thousand years locals have built homes for themselves and hostels for visitors all cheek by jowl ancient alongside old and old alongside new 
When you consider this one in coordination with the, or in, in relation with the other projects that are happening in Saudi Arabia, those are fresh projects that are happening, uh, accepting the historical buildings which are not scattered. It is not like cities that are really live. Now, Jeddah Historical, the change in that one that you are going to do a regeneration for 2.5, again, 2.5 square kilometers area that is already uh, a brown field livable. You have people there. Uh, and this is the beauty of that project. Uh, to be honest, beauty comes with the challenges. It's that eagerness for a beautiful challenge that Ehab and his colleagues at Faithful and Gould bring to the project. The entire scope of the project must be planned out and phased while leaving enough flexibility to account for the unexpected. The planning goes into two aspects. First of all, is like doing a proper zoning for the area. And uh, the second aspect is doing an assessment of the uh, uh, current conditions of the buildings. And then you need to do uh, some kind of uh, categorizing for the uh, importance as per the, uh, of course, client's uh, uh, requirements. And then you put it all in one uh, uh, holistic schedule for the development to make sure that you will start on this area, uh, on this zone, after considering the requirements when it comes to the heritage assessment and the building structure. Work will be conducted across zones, ensuring that the overall plan respects history and is in line with the client's aims. The master plan then focuses in on individual buildings. It goes into three phases, to be honest. First of all, you need to go for the building and you want to make sure that you're doing a restoration for the historical building. And that goes that basically uh, uh, you need to do a proper study for it, which is phase one. Secondly, you need to do the restoration works for that one. You are going to do a, some kind of a bracing for the building to make sure that it is going to be immune against any, any of the uh, uh, effects for whatever is going to happen around it. So uh, that will enable us for the third phase, that we, which we call it a rehabilitation, which is actually refunctioning of the building itself, which is goes exactly what are the current function or how it's going to be utilized. Yeah, for instance, you have, uh, let me give you an example. We have one of the important buildings, which is called Beit Nasif. It's a family, it's a family building uh, for one of the old families. The people there in JHD started doing studies of how this building is going to be refunctioned. They have agreed on how it's going to be done in a way that it is going to be preserved. So then we went into the phase of doing some kind of restructuring in and out to make sure that it is stable enough and it is not affected for the surrounding development that's going to happen for other buildings. And then we went into rehabilitation of that one. You can go and now see of those, uh, see that building there. One of the beautiful buildings, it's a destination by itself. It is reused to be, it can like accommodate meetings, conferences. Uh, sometimes it was also used as a, some kind of a museum. It's a beautiful thing. The restoration of the Nassif family's old home has preserved its beauty while finding new ways that the building can be used. But it is just one building among many. There are at least 1,299 more for Ihab's team and their partners to consider. The master program that we have uh, prepared in, in, in Primavera and P6 to accommodate all of those 1,300 buildings, 
you're talking about like actually it's, it's not a schedule anymore it's a booklet now it's you're talking about encyclopedia of, of projects that each one of them you need to have it uh, coordinated with its own requirements when it comes to heritage assessment at the beginning and then the, the the archaeology also assessment because before you start with any building you need to go for a phase to go and dig to see if there are any ruins here and there that it is like really important before we start with the with the building Historic Jeddah is a city of narrow and winding alleyways. But it is also one of the first cities of skyscrapers, an architectural style that was developed in the Hejaz coast of the Red Sea. These are from the first uh, residential buildings that were built vertically, not horizontally. So you can see like uh, uh, an apartments on top of each other with different floors using the, the, the stairs and steps. Usually for the Arab culture and for the old cities, the Arabian old cities, it goes into distribution uh, horizontally. So you have all of the cities distributed horizontally. But even worldwide, with comparing with the other architecture, when you go to the Yemeni architecture and also Hijazi architecture here in Jeddah, you can see that the development is coming vertically. Unlike today's architects, the designers of these ancient skyscrapers didn't have access to steel and concrete. They developed their own ways of building tall. Now, at the ancient time, they didn't have all of these uh, uh, construction and they tried to invent those beautiful methodologies where they can use like uh, wooden stripes every like one meter and they put it around the buildings and those uh, distribute the loads in a way that it works as a bridge between the edges of the buildings. This is beautiful by itself. Now, of course, when you want to compare the, the, the old methodologies with the new methodologies and we have the safety factors, it is not comparable. So now the challenge that we're doing here is to try to do some kind of engagement and marriage between the old and new ones. So we maintain whatever they are doing with those beautiful wooden beams that works as like uh, uh, reinforced beams in our new era but at the same time, making sure that it is reinforced with our methodologies. Basushri has been working on the master plan for Diria, far to the north, inland but towards the top of the Gulf. It's another area with a deep history and was also the birthplace of the first Saudi state. It's close to the country's modern capital, Riyadh. The Daraya Gate master plan, the whole sort of vision around the master plan is centered around Atreif, which is the UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it was also the birthplace of the ruling Saud family. So it's obviously from a historic as well as from a nation building perspective, it's a very, very key site. And it is also a UNESCO listed site. So from a tourism perspective as well, it's, it's on the map. And um, what we're looking to create basically is a district around Atharif. And, and Atharif, as a lot of the heritage sites in Riyadh in particular, they sit along the Wadi Hanifa corridor, which is the main sort of um, uh, green wadi that links north to south. And it's uh, because it was naturally the place where the watershed of the city kind of culminates in. It's the, the stormwater system. It's, it's fertile land. So it's also land that has been cultivated over years, centuries. Uh, so it's quite a green part of the, um, of, the, of the city. This is a place that is as unique geographically as it is important historically. The geography of the place is also really interesting because Riyadh sits on a plateau. 
and these heritage sites also sit on the plateau, hugging the edge of this green area, which was cultivated for agriculture. Uh, so what we are looking to do is is basically de uh, create, de develop heritage sensitive cultural destination around Atarif in this in this particular project. That's what the uh, Daraya Gate sort of development authority and DGCL, uh, which who are our clients, uh, they have focused the development around making it sort of cultural um, heritage sensitive destination, um, but with residential, with tourism uh, amenities and with uh, mixed use uh, facilities. So there is live, work, play uh, with the whole 15 minute mixed use community kind of approach. The master plan will see a new green walkable district developed. It will pay attention to the ecological history of the area as well as its cultural significance. It's not just heritage, it's also environment because it sits in a sensitive environmental um, and, and you know it's not just the buildings which is part of the heritage but it's also the palm trees that are in the wadi which is part of that heritage as well. It's the farms, it's the, the shared memory of that community which is also you know both the tangible as well as the intangible elements around it. Even the stories um, that people remember and, and, and uh, it is an oral tradition. So a lot of these stories are within, you know, community members and within uh, people who, who've lived there. So it's, it's also making sure that those stories live on through the development. The master plan here does not have to consider quite the same physical complexity as in Jeddah. As Ehab has explained, the Red Sea port has been in continuous use for more than a millennium, with old and new side by side. The historic parts of Daria are more distinct. For the UNESCO heritage site itself, there are buffer zone requirements that are prescribed and that was part of the initial listing uh, process. So those buffer zones and the view corridors have to be respected in terms of what is allowed and not allowed. So there is a sensitivity around that particular precinct. But across the site, there are still many unknown layers of deep history. The master plan must be flexible enough to allow for archaeological surprises. There are also significant heritage assets in the form of uh, walls or other excavations. And again, it's an ongoing process as well because you don't know what's not visible at the moment. So when you excavate, then you might find other things as well. So there is a sensitivity around the master plan being flexible. The past brings complexity to the work, but it can also show today's architects and planners different ways of working. In Daraya, the, the traditional uh, method of construction is through mud bricks. Um, so the, the and, and that is also a sustainable way of constructing. It also encourages the use of local materials, local manpower, local knowledge. Uh, so that is being incorporated as a method of construction um, within Daraya. But it's also being um, sort of combined with modern ways of construction. So there is a combination of the two. Uh, so from that perspective, I think that's quite a uh, a good way of a, keeping making things sustainable and also localizing it, which is uh, an important aspect of sustainability. As we live through the climate crisis, we will all need to get used to living in uncomfortable, if not outright dangerous levels of heat. Part of that will mean finding new passive ways to maintain a livable environment in our homes and other buildings, and in the public spaces between them. The builders and architects of the Arabian Peninsula have been working on this problem for thousands of years. While their solutions cannot completely replace modern systems of temperature control, they can help. 
they can also reduce the carbon footprint of buildings and make streets more comfortable. We're also looking at vernacular forms because they were more sensitive to the climate. So the courtyard form, particularly of these buildings in these sort of hot climates, is very effective in creating a cooling microclimate. So that is another thing that has been incorporated within the building form. It's centered around people. It's the, it's creating walkability. It's creating a microclimate that supports walkability. We've really pushed the boundaries in um, this uh, particular project to minimize the the right of ways for cars, uh, because the tendency, obviously, in in the region has been to have big roads to be able to accommodate cars. But the idea here is to change that dynamic, is to make it more around people and to make cars a little bit sort of sort of less obvious within the urban landscape. So the streets are also not designed to be straight. They are designed to sort of twist and turn and create that experience along it. Uh, so cars slow down naturally. So there's natural traffic calming. There are also much narrower spaces. So there's self-shading. It's it's interesting, but in the traditional urban fabric of Atrif and of the traditional um, Najdi, as well as in Alula, you see this naturally there. It is sustainable. It's already been designed uh, to work with climate. It's been designed to work with the environment within which they live. And it's been designed for a social structure that of, of the community that was was there. So it's it's got all the sort of sustainable principles, if you think, built in already within that traditional fabric. Historic Jeddah and Diria give us a vision of the peninsula's history from the early days of Islam and of the Saudi nation, but Alula and the nearby site of Hejra are older still. More than 2,000 years ago, the Nabataeans carved buildings and tombs out of the rocky landscape. These form Hejra, the country's first UNESCO World Heritage Site. The well-preserved rock architecture shows diverse influences making this out as a meeting place for Assyrian, Egyptian, Phoenician, and Hellenistic cultures. More practically, wells were dug here and then used continuously for thousands of years, up to the present day. The heritage site sits alongside Alula, one of those cities that will benefit from the regional rebalancing aspects of Vision 2030. As tourists come to visit the ancient site, they will pass through the towns along the wadi. I think the, the term they use is wadi al-Kura, which was the villages along the wadi. Um, and um, the, the most of the heritage sites are north of the main town now, and the airport is further south. So the town itself is a gateway to what they call the journey through time. And that is your main visitor arrival point, as well as the main place where the community lives. And the work that we've been doing is is around creating quality of life for the existing residents, uh, sort of incorporating what will the city have to cater to in terms of the increasing visitor numbers, because it is going to be a gateway and providing, uh, you know, all of the amenities and support required for the new economy. Particularly for the visitors, there is an experiential route that has been planned. There is the old sort of the tram line, the heritage tram line that existed and that is being recreated. Um, and that provides the experiential route through the heritage sites. The new buildings and developments in Al-Ula that Simon and Vashashri describe will not stand apart. Instead, 
they will draw on the styles and appearance of the town around them. In Alula, there is actually a um, a very strong sort of guideline towards ensuring that the Alula sort of look and feel is maintained through all of the architecture and buildings. And there is an Alula palette of colors, um, which is approved to, to ensure that the the overall look and feel of the city is is in line with that. There is a planting palette as well, which is more adaptive, which is more local. The aims of the project here are complex. New tourist developments will contribute to the redevelopment of the modern town, bringing jobs and investment. One of the primary outcomes of an urban redevelopment like this or an improvement to an area like Alula is is to help with the prosperity of the, the local population as well, not just change the place, it's to change it for the good of the country, for tourism and for the local community as well. The planners must preserve the ancient, restore and redevelop the old, as well as building something new. And historic building techniques will have to play a role here. Heritage building is is different, isn't it? The, 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 the new buildings that they're building do have aspects of traditional methods in them as well, but, but where they're restoring existing dwellings for, for tourism, really, they're not necessarily to be um, habited again by, by people. They're, they're there for people to safely walk around and, and enjoy and see the way that people lived in the past. They're not necessarily advocating that that's the way that people should live oh. now. But some of those old traditional techniques of um, things like rammed earth walls and some of the other techniques that they, that they used have got a lot of positive reasons for adoption into, into new buildings. Like Diria, Al-Ula is a showcase for architectural inventiveness. The building techniques developed here again show how passive temperature control might contribute to modern buildings and cities. Some of the way that the buildings are, are designed, certain that the way that like solar stacks, for example, where the hot air rises up through 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 tunnels in, in the buildings, for example, that, that's a very old and traditional way of, of expelling natural heat out of a building. And those buildings are designed similarly in, in uh, Albalad as well, in Jeddah actually, they have that same technology where they have uh, vertical shafts that get, that, that get rid of hot air. There's obviously orientation of the buildings and screening, overhanging roofs again to stop solar gain. So there's lots of passive ventilation techniques that are being used in, in the modern construction of these buildings. For thousands of years, Saudi Arabia has been at the heart of global trade. It's the birthplace of one of the world's great religions. The building techniques developed on the peninsula have foreshadowed today's world of skyscrapers and given us a starting point for new techniques of passive climate control. With projects like Al-Ula, Daria and Jeddah Historical District, the country aims to showcase its rich cultural heritage to the world and to its young citizens in a new way. As part of the Vision 2030 plan, they will also play an important role in diversifying the country's economy. 10 years from now, I think there is a new future for, of Saudi Arabia and it will change the whole idea that this is like a, a country that it is like based on oil industry. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Will North, hosted by me, Bernadette Ballantyne, and by Johnny Dowling. 
editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the ancient relic that gave us our identity and supports our future development is Rory Harris. Thanks to our partner for this episode, SNC Lavalin. And thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.rebeat.media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. <laughs>